next three weeks, we're going to do something very different than what we're typically used to around here. Uh, what we're used to is taking a book of the Bible and walking through it uh, in some systematic way. But there are times in the life of the church where we have to address certain topics. And, and the truth is, I think, uh, as a young church, th- we need to address the whole topic of uh, membership. What does it mean to be a member of the church? Um, I've said certain things, and we've put out a couple of articles. Um, hopefully you've had the opportunity to read it. The latest was a covenant um, that I think Rebecca sent out a couple of weeks back. Um, but membership in the church, I think in the past in history, and ma- many churches has been done poorly. Uh, for some, it's just simply like getting a membership from Costco or something like that, and you have certain privileges because you belong to a body. Um, That's really not the way I see it painted in Scripture. And so I think it's important to take a look at God's Word and see what He says um, in order to help us understand it. And so today we're going to actually focus on two terms, two words that are found in Scripture. Uh, One is the word member, And how is it used in the scriptures and the text? And secondly, is the word fellowship. And I'm I'm jumping from this because our small group really uh, looked at this last week. And I thought, man, these two dovetail together. So those are two words, and we're going to look at two passages, but our focus is on those two words. And then over the next two weeks, what I'd like us to do is take a look at some of the one another commands in scripture. Um, In the New Testament, Paul, John, I believe even Peter uh, used this phrase, one another. And they're commanding us how to live in life like with one another. And what I'd like to do is take a look at those in context with the covenant that uh, was sent out and say, okay, in light of this, this is how we, as if we're a healthy church member, this is how we ought to live. Now, please understand that um, this is not so much a a statement that we've arrived as a church at this this is these three sermons I hope we understand that this is where we hope to grow in these things okay and um, so let's let's um, let's dig in first passage that I want us to note is the first one that Jeff read from Romans chapter 12 1 through 5 and so um, we'll begin there and the term I want you to see today in that context and for us to pick away at is a word member and before we actually dive into the word I, I want us to pause and take a note um, in Romans chapter 12 the Apostle Paul is actually moving into a kind of the, the practical side he's just spent 11 chapters uh, in one of the richest theological texts in scripture and then he says therefore so therefore in light of what i've just said this is how you ought to live okay and paul does that consistently but uh this is quite the transition in romans i appeal to you therefore he literally i beg you i plead with you this is how this is this is the extent Therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. What does he mean by that phrase? 
by the mercies of God. Well, if you just back the truck up a little bit and get to chapter 11, verse 30, actually, yeah, verse 30, we read, for just as you, he's talking to the Romans, just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, talking about the Jewish disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. So he's talked about mercy. He's actually talked a little more about it in Romans chapter 9. If you look at verse, um, verse 15, For he, God, says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I've raised you up that I might show my power in you and that by my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he, God, has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Now that text is a tough text, but at the heart of that text is God has shown mercy to his people. If you are a Christian and you are sitting in this room and you are a believer, a follower of Christ, according to the Scriptures, the Scripture says that we are here because God in His kindness, His grace, His mercy has allowed us to be here, has allowed us to understand that we need a Savior. Now, Romans 9 flows out of the rest of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3, where it says... None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The picture that the Scripture paints of humanity, including me, is that none of us seek after God. We, we, we don't do what's right. And we're in desperate trouble, Romans 3 tells us. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages or the, 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 the reward, you could say, for our sinfulness is death, separation from God for eternity. But thanks be to God, that's not where the story ends, is it? Romans 3, we, we are marvelously blessed by God but look at verse 21 but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law in other words Christ has come God in his mercy sent his son and God in his kindness and his grace has said his son would take upon himself our sin and he would give anyone who puts their faith in him his righteousness and so Paul says in chapter 3, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. If you're a Christian, there is literally no room for boasting. No room for arrogance. No room to think that you're better than somebody else, the person next to you or the person across the street from you, because we have received mercy. And that's Paul's point in Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To basically, here, here's, Lord, here's my life because look what you've done for me. And in light of that, God, here is my life and do with it as you want. 
My mind is yours. We talked about this a few weeks ago. My, 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 what I value and love, it may it be yours. What I do with these hands, they're yours. Because of what you've done, because of your mercy and your kindness that I don't deserve, God, this is yours. All of me is yours. We're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And the language there is your reasonable or logical service. Like, maybe he doesn't quite say it, but it's kind of a no-brainer. This is how we ought to worship God in light of what he's done for us. And then in verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world. We are not to be a people that looks like the world. So what we love should be different than what the world loves. What we do, our, our, our activities should look different. Our thought life should look different. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, I think if you go back to Romans 8 or Titus you get this, this sense that this renewal is because of the Spirit of God that lives and resides within us. And as we no longer walk by flesh, but our eyes are set upon the Spirit, we walk by the Spirit, we are transformed. As we open up what God has said in the Scriptures and the, and the, and the Spirit of God that lives within us, transforms us and changes us so that we look more and more like Christ. Now, I've just said a whole lot right here. Really, it should be a series. Somebody once told me I should finish Romans. We got to the end of chapter 8, and we will continue someday, Lord willing. But now, he says in light of that, verse 3, for by the grace given to me, this is Paul speaking, the grace that God has given me, it's out of that I, I, I want to say to you, don't think of, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So in light of everything he just said, he's basically telling the church in Rome, be humble. And then he says, to think, but to think, with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And listen to this, and individually members one of another. Now, Paul is doing something that a lot of people in the first century did. If you read some of the, the literature of the day, uh, the, a lot of people would take the physical body and use it as an example. The Apostle Paul does this quite a bit. He does it in Ephesians. He does it in 1 Corinthians. And he's doing it here again. And, and, and he starts with this whole concept that, that we're very diverse. We're very different. And, and that's a picture that he wants us to have in our brain. When we think church, we think of the physical body. And, and some are fingers, and some are big toes, and some maybe of the nervous system, you could say. And the nervous system doesn't go, well, I don't want nothing to do with the finger. The finger they, 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 they're interdependent. They need one another. 
They have different functions. And my finger would never say, well, I don't belong to Elroy. Well, this is very much Elroy, or at least a part of Elroy. Leon Morris says, for all our diversity, there's a unity brought about by the fact that we are all in Christ. An interdependence for each member belongs to all the others. Our connection is to Christ. Now, he doesn't say everybody's part of this big family, everybody's part of this body. He says those who are in Christ, those who have placed their faith and their trust, their confidence in this Jesus who gave his life for us. Members of one another. John Stott says that in Rome, the church there would have been very multi-ethnic. And so this would have had enormous implications. I don't know about you, but whenever I um, engaged with uh, in the life of somebody who uh, was from a different ethnic background, I'm richly blessed and sometimes a little bit perturbed because they're different than me. Sometimes they have a different value of time or, or whatever, right? In the context of the church in Rome, this fact that they were all one in Christ and needing one another is really incredibly important. Barnett, in his uh, wonderfully practical little commentary, said this, Spiritual pride is the enemy of true unity in Christ. The attitude that says I'm a better Christian because I know the Bible better than you, well, that's just, there's no room for that. If you know the Bible better than somebody beside you, it's because of God's grace and mercy. What do we typically tend to do? We we typically tend to view the church through the lens of our strengths and our our strengths, right? And so somebody who's really good at, uh, you know, hanging out with people and pulling people together, uh, they, they, they might look at somebody else who isn't and, and go, well, if they were only like this, then the church would be a better place. Uh, somebody who might be gifted in uh, unpacking God's Word, uh, it, although we're all called to study God's Word and know God's Word, uh, somebody who's very gifted in that area might, might go, well, if they all just understood how the, the, the book fit together like I do, but there's no room for that pride in the context of the church. Somebody else might go, well, if the church was only organized, if they were just like, if we just did this and this and this, and there's probably truth to that, but that's not the way we should be looking and viewing one another. The church in Rome if we get to the back of Romans chapter 16, we won't go there, but you, we, we, we begin to realize that the church in Rome, probably like most churches in the uh, first century, were um, little churches or little bodies of people that met in different homes. Some homes might be able to fit a group this size. Others would have been smaller. There would likely have been an elder that would have functioned in in each one of those homes giving leadership and then they would have been part of the the church of Rome and there would have been elders that together would have led and and this idea of being belonging would have would have started in that home and then would have carried 
on or would have rippled out of that to the church at large? Barnett also says, humility says, I need you. That's what humility says. So David, I need you. But it doesn't stop there. Humility also says, and you need me. He said, well, that's not so humble. But according to the text, the reason we say that is because we belong to one another in Christ. And so it's Christ who's put us together. But we didn't organize this. God has put us these pieces together. Because he knows we need one another. Because we're part of the family. And if we submissive to the text and we're humble to the text, then, then the truth is that we are individually members one of another. So I have no problem saying that I need you, but I also have no problem saying you need me. And maybe when I look through my lens and go, well, if everybody was a better, I need to push you and challenge you to read God's word and know God's word because the word of God is going to change you. Psalm chapter 1 makes it very clear that we should be all immersing ourselves in the text. But I'm not better than you because I can unpack the scripture in a different way than you. But, but maybe you're really gifted at some, some other area and you're going, well, this is the way the church, well, maybe what, what you really need to say is, church, you need me. <laughs> Let me help in this area, whatever that area might be. Members of one another. And practically speaking, the truth is, we're members, if we're in Christ, we are members of the global church. That's our family. But practically speaking, it starts somewhere. For the church in Rome, it started in the home that they were meeting, and it rippled out to the rest of the church. Because that's who they live life with. If they had a need, that's who would take care of it. Now we're going to see that that goes beyond that in, in, in Philippians. But let me, Tom and, Tom and Lee's. Tom was in her home. He's in her home pretty much every day because little Ava stays. And so Tom and Lee's, um, I, I still hate it that they're not coming to church here, but um, can I be that frank? Dear friends, still are. But they are now attending at Urban Grace. And so we were, I think it was on Thursday when he came to pick up Ava. Um, Rochelle says, how are things at Urban Grace? And then we started talking about who's still there. And we've been gone for a few years. And so there's, there's new faces and new names. And, and so, but certain people are still there. And that was kind of cool to hear about them. And, and, uh, and I said, well, are so-and-so still there? And then they go, yeah. They're still there. And I said, do they have any kids? And, and we just kind of talked about stuff like that, right? And then he goes, but they're really struggling with this. And I, I'll leave it blank, and I'll leave their name blank. And my heart went out to them because I, I love them, and I care for them. And I'm like, oh, I would love just to pick up the phone and call them and maybe help resolve that. But last week, my week was pretty full, and I didn't know where I would put it. And Quite frankly, they have a pastor over there that could solve that really well. 
and he was doing that really well for them. And, and so there's really no need for me to jump in. My, my focus is right here. However, there might be times when that ripple effect means I need to, let me give you another example. One of our um, task force members, um, many years ago, his son was killed in a car accident. He was 17. Now, my dear friend Daryl and, and Mary Ann, they, um, over the years, have had incredible opportunities to help and walk people through, help people where their children have died unexpectedly. And, and if, if ever there was a need in this context, I know I could pick up the phone and call and say, could you, could you come and talk to these folks? This is what just has happened. And they, they would understand, and they could, they, could, they could help in a way that I could never help. You see, the body of Christ is big, but it's also very small. And when we're talking about membership, that's what, that's, what, that's what we're talking about. I need you, you need me. And, and at some point, we've got to identify well, which, which members do we, are we leaning into the most? Which, which group of members are we calling our home? It doesn't have to be community grace. But it has to be somewhere. You will not survive. You, you need the church. You need the body. Who are the members that you belong to? The second term is the word fellowship. And again, this is not the way I really like diving through the scriptures and jumping around like this, but by the nature of where we're at, I think we need to. Philippians chapter 1, 1 through 11 I was going to pick on Jeff when we got to this passage. And he just left. So I'm going to pick on him behind his back. But did you notice how he struggled with you all? A couple of times he came to that passage and he stumbled over it. And I'm like, he's really losing his American background there. He's really becoming Canadian. That's just an aside. It has nothing to do with the message. But our second term is fellowship. And the picture that I think Paul wants us to paint is this picture of a small business partnership. Okay? Now, Megan, I want to say thank you because Megan really pointed this out. The connection, I think, in the brethren circles, how they don't use the word membership, they use the word fellowship. And I thought, we should use both. (laughs) They're two good words. And... How do we use the word fellowship in the church today? If you've been around church culture long enough, you'll have heard people go, they'll say things like, you know, you come for church service and you sneak out right away. Well, you came for the service. But if you hung around and you talked and you visited and you made it, maybe grabbed a coffee, you would have left here and said, we had good fellowship. We, we might have our neighbor over for a cup of coffee who isn't a Christian, and we'll say, well, that's a good friendship. But if we have a Christian over for a cup of coffee, we say, well, that was fellowship. That's not exactly how the text uses it. There is, there is a, an element of truth that the term, the Greek word, the original koinonia, and that's the last time you'll hear me say that, but um, it has this idea of close relationships 
but it's more than that. In, in our Philippians passage, in verse 4, you may have noticed, or verse 5, you may notice because of your partnership in the gospel, that word partnership is translated in the King James, the New King James, as fellowship in the gospel. In the ESV, the, that word, the Greek word, is typically translated fellowship. But here it's translated partnership. In fact, in the first century, it was commonly used as a word with all kinds of commercial overtones. In fact, Romans 15, 26, I'll just simply read that. Uh, the same word is translated uh, to make contributions. 15, verse 26, Paul writes, but, but has now been disclosed and made through prophetic writings and has been made known to all nations according to... Oh, I'm reading 16, sorry. Bear with me. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. And the word fellowship there, instead of using fellowship, it's the idea of making contributions. Where am I going with this? Maybe the best way to unpack this word is to use the illustration I used in small group on Tuesday is, let's say Jeff and I, we're going to pool all our financial resources together. And so Jeff's throwing in a million dollars and I'm throwing in ten bucks. <laughs> and Julian over there is the smartest widget maker in the whole planet. And so we think we should have a three-way three partnership. He'll bring his expertise and we'll bring all our money. And um, maybe we'll bring somebody in for marketing. I don't know who. We, Ahmed, we'll bring you in for, uh, for, for marketing. We need somebody with the brains to get the, our product out to market, right? And we pool all our resources, all our abilities, all our gifts together so that we can become the best widget makers and best widget sellers in the world. Really, that's how Paul's using that word. Fellowship. Partnership. He actually uses it again in verse 7. This time, he trans it's lands translated partakers with me of grace. Fellowship with me of grace. Same idea, same word. Donald Carson says that the idea, the heart of true fellowship is, listen to this, self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. I love that. The heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a true vision. Maybe the best way to describe it is, again, thanks Megan, is Frodo. Lord of the Rings. I, I pulled up, I went back and I watched that section where they all get together and, and then I found the transcript and Frodo the Hobbit from the, the Lord of the Rings. Remember, everybody's arguing, like, who's going to take this, this, this ring to Mordor? And, and in the background, Frodo goes, I'll take it, I'll take it. But nobody hears him because they're all arguing who can take it, who's better, like, who's, who's, who's the one with the great ability? And finally he goes, I'll take the ring to Mordor, though I... Very humbly, he says, I do not know the way. And at that point, there's a quietness, and everybody looks at him and is like, and then Gandalf, the wizard, walks up to Frodo, and he says, 
I will help you bear this burden, Frodo Baggins, so long as it is yours to bear. And he places his hands on Frodo's shoulders. And then comes Aragorn, who says, If by my life or death I can protect you, I will. And he says to him, You have my sword. And then one of the elves says, You have my bow. And then Gimli, the little Gimli, the dwarf, remember him? Big beard, bigger than Andrew's actually. And he yells out, You have my axe! And then Vormer walks over and he says, You carry the fates of all of us. If this is indeed the will of the council, then Gondor will see it done. He's now standing in. Then, of course, his good friend Sam jumps out of the bushes and says, If Frodo's not going, he's not going anywhere without me. And then you might remember the other two hobbits, Pippin and Mary. They jump up out of hiding. They come running. They're, they're coming along too. They say, well, one of them says that we, they'll need our intelligence. And then what was it, Elrond? Looks at the nine companions. and says, so be it. You shall be the fellowship of the ring. I think in a Book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is looking at the church of Philippi and says, You have been in fellowship with me in that way. How does that look? Well, in one of the ways, they, verse 27, 1 and 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. One of the ways that they were in fellowship with Paul, Paul was proclaiming the gospel while he was chained to a Roman guard as he writes this letter. And the Philippians were back in Philippi, and they were doing the same thing. And there's something about that common bond. I got, I, got, I got pastors in the city that we don't see each other a lot. We don't have time to. But on an odd occasion, we, we maybe send a text or we'll, we'll find a time for a coffee. We'll have a conversation. And it's encouraging to know that we're not doing this fight alone. Even though we're not actually walking side by side in the same place day after day, week after week. And so there's a sense where the, 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 the two of them, the church in Philippi and Paul, were both witnessing, and so they were in fellowship. Verse 29, take a look at that verse in chapter 1 of Philippians 1. For it has been granted to you, for that, you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So the church in Philippi was suffering. But proclaiming the gospel, there was an element where they were suffering. We're not explained how, not told how, but we know Paul was suffering. He was in prison. And there was, something, there was something refreshing and encouraging for the Apostle Paul and says, although we're in two different camps, two different places, we are in fellowship, we're, we're, we're serving God together, and we're suffering for the sake of the gospel. It doesn't stop there. Paul says in chapter 1, verse 19, oh, For 
I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. See, these people were praying for him. And I don't think it was just simply a prayer like, well, God, would you pray for all the missionaries out there? And I know Paul's part of that, so he's covered. They were praying, God, we miss Paul. And right now we know he's in prison, and, and, and we don't know if he's going to live. We, like, Lord, would you use him? Would you use him to proclaim the gospel even wherever he's at? They, they, they were intense. They loved him so much that they prayed for him. And Paul says, because of that, we are in fellowship together. We are of those nine that... We're told in chapter 4 that they sent one of their brothers, Epaphroditus, to take care of his needs. So they actually cost them. We're going to send this guy out to take care of Paul. And then... In chapter 4, we're told that not only on this occasion, but on several other occasions, that they had sent money so Paul could continue to proclaim the gospel. They were part of a fellowship. They were, part, they were self-sacrificing conformity to the same vision. They wanted the gospel of Jesus Christ to get out to the whole world. And this Paul who brought them the gospel, they stayed in, in, engaged in his life so, to, to continue to proclaim the gospel. Yes, fellowship speaks of relationship. That we can't forget. That's so evident as we read the book of Philippians, as, as Jeff read for us. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. This is Paul. I miss you guys. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. But, but, but what he's really grateful to God for is that they are partnering with him. So the question is, what fellowship do you relate with on this important quest of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to our city and to our nation and, and to the world? I mean, that's important for you to identify. Where do I, what do I see as, this is where I'm a member, this is where I belong. This is my fellowship. This is where I belong. This, these are the people that we're going to partner together to, to see God's work, God's gospel go out. A healthy church member is a humble servant of Jesus who's focused upon caring for building up the body of Christ. A humble follower of Christ who's focused on caring for the body, building the body up saying God use me in whatever way you can in this context and belonging to a fellowship implies a self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision so the question is to what fellowship are you committed to what physically body have you selflessly identified with and answering these questions is going to mean a whole lot for you, not only to be a healthy church member, but quite frankly, to be a healthy Christian. Today's message has really been a lot about Christian life. 
But all of that's possible because of what Christ has done. And then kind of on the front end, we talked about it's because of His mercy that we can even be part of the family. And so it's because He came to this earth and gave His life, His body was put upon a cross, butchered, put to death, pay for our penalty. His blood was shed so that our sins could be forgiven. And we as bo- the body of Christ simply say, we, we believe Him, we believe in what He's done, and because of that we're part of a family and, and so much more. And so if you're a Christian, follower of Christ, you're welcome to join us. We we encourage you and challenge you to examine your life to see whether you are a believer. If you are, come and join us. And if you are, don't come alone. Bring somebody with you. It's a picture that we're family. We're the body, the bride of Christ. And so, Jay, if you would lead us in worship and allow me